All right, good morning, everybody. Here we are, here we go again on the book of Revelation. It's exciting, it's fantastic. I'm enjoying it so far, and I hope you, you all enjoy it too. And uh, But before, before we continue, let's pray and ask Jesus and ask God to uh, pour out His Spirit into our hearts. Okay, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, once again, we are so excited about your word, about the truth that is contained in your word. We ask you that you will pour out your spirit. Lord, that only your spirit can open our eyes and our spiritual eyes, our hearts, so that we, we will uh, receive and, and, and see the truth, that is the truth that is contained in your word. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all go to, uh, this time, Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. We're going to read from verse 12 all the way to verse 17. And uh, let's read it. And to the angel of the church of Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and ye did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also, you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, I will give some hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. All right. So this is our sixth uh, sermon on the book of Revelation. And uh, like I said, the two main themes in the book of Re Revelation is uh, the revelation of Jesus and the triumph of the church. As we talk about the, uh, this is part of the, the message or the messages and the letters to the churches. So we will focus on the triumph of the church. That is our focus. Uh, two weeks before, Dyer preached on, uh, you know, on the ho the whole overview of the message that was sent to the churches, the seven churches, and in that he presented Jesus as the high priest of the church, who is in charge of the church. And in addressing the seven churches, uh, Jesus presented himself, this is how Dai said, as the greatest coach of the church. I love it. Coaching and preparing the church so the church will triumph in whatever situation they, they were facing. It's coaching them and preparing them for triumph. Okay, now. In the whole series, we've said it many times, but we will say it again. Remember, it is not the chaos that is in the world that will be the undoing 
of the church, but what is tolerated within the church that will be the undoing of it. Okay? Doesn't matter what's going on out there, that's not, got, that's not going to undo the church. It's what is tolerated within the church that will be the downfall of the church. So uh, let's just go back straight to the passage. We'll just go straight into it. It begins with, the, with these greetings in chapter 2, chapter two, verse 12, where it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Okay? That's a reflection of the power of the authority of the word of God. Okay? That's pretty much it, because it is the power of the spoken word of God and the written word of God. So the two-edged sword. And then the next thing is the acknowledgement, where in, in verse 13, where Jesus said, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Okay? In this case, the Jewish uh, rejection of Christians in Smyrna, you know, Jesus uh, called those Jews as the, as, the, uh, as the synagogue of Satan. Because in Smyrna, which is the sermon last week, we talked about the Jews rejected Christians, uh, even excommunicated many of them in the synagogue, and then they got excommunicated. And uh, Jesus called them those because they rejected the Christians. Jesus called them the synagogue of Satan. Now in the city, this city, Pergamum, where the local, local uh, rulers used their authority to execute Christians, and in this, in this situation is Antipas, a member of the church. Jesus called it as a place where Satan Satan's throne is. So pretty much what Jesus is communicating is this, the rejection of his people, whoever rejects God's people, that is a satanic influence that's happening, a satanic activity that's going on in there. Okay? And uh, according to history, nothing more is known of Antipas uh, Though legend has it that he was, in this execution, he was roasted in a brazen bull. So, so he was fried pretty much, or roasted. <laughs> and, uh, but clearly he had you know, remained firm in the faith. For this Jesus referred to him as my faithful witness. It's a title that Jesus used for himself in chapter 1, chapter 1 verse 5. Bible describes Jesus in Revelation 1 verse 5 as the faithful witness and the guy who died as a witness to testify and hold on to the testimony of Jesus Jesus used the same title of himself you are a faithful witness so uh, at the time of this the writing of this book anyone who testified to death concerning Jesus he, they call, they call it, he's a martyr. As a matter of fact, martyr means to witness. But particularly in the situation is 
to be a witness to Jesus even to the point of death. Okay? So, the things we want to discuss is, like I said, the enemy is within, not without. Okay? The enemy is within what's going on inside the church. So the opposition had not led to any slackening what, like the, the murder of, of uh, even the, the, the uh, execution of Antipas, it did not lead to any slackening of Christian zeal. And even Jesus said, you remain true to my name and you did not renounce your faith in me, even after all that, which is amazing. So like I said, the chaos in the world and what the, the world tried to do and persecute the church it's not the undoing of the of God's church, but what is tolerated within the church. And we'll see that from this verse, verse 14. Let's read it. This is what Jesus said. But after all that, he said, I have a few things here, verse 14. I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they may eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. And verse 15, So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Just want to clarify. The practices of Balaam's and Nicolaitans, they are similar, even though they are not identical, but they are similar. I want to... Uh, the story of Balaam is actually it is originally uh, contained in the book in the Old Testament. So, so John or Jesus used the example of Balaam who was in the Old Testament, and the story goes like that. I mean, without going too far or too into details, but just so that you get an idea why ba Balaam is used as an example here. It is in the if you want to go home and study and do your homework to study more. It's uh, the story you can find in Numbers, the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 22 to 24. Numbers 22 to 24. He's an elder from Midian who practiced divination. Okay? And while Israel was on the way from Egypt to the promised land, Canaan, this guy, the king of Moab, felt threatened by, by the Israelites. And so he hired this guy called Balaam, who is an elder of, of, uh, and a prophet of Midian, to put a curse on Israel when they were in the, in the wilderness, when they on the way, on the journey to, to the Promised Land. And he said to, to Balaam, this King Balak, King of Moab, said to Balaam, I'm going to pay you, and, and you're going to, to uh, curse Israel. Obviously, he's known for his power to be able to curse people. And uh, the story goes on that, that uh, Balaam made a three attempts to curse Israel. But in those, all the three attempts, God intervened, and God instructed Balaam. God said, listen, don't you do that. He had a, God came and visited him, and God said to him, Don't you do that. What you are going to pronounce is not a curse, but the words that I will put in your mouth. And on those three occasions from different, different locations, 
there was three events, three attempts. Balaam pronounced blessings over the, the people of Israel instead of cursing. So uh, Balak, Balak, who paid Balaam to curse Israel, then, <laughs> then responded, it's like, excuse me, I hired you to curse Israel, and look what you've done. And Balaam's response was, which is a very famous, uh, famous uh, statement and for many Bible readers, and I love this statement. He said, I cannot curse what God has blessed. Don't you love that? In other words, if God's blessing in our lives, I don't care what witchcraft or any, any power Satan, they can't curse that. This is a powerful statement. Balaam said to, to Balak who hired him. You can, as a matter of fact, if you read the story, he said, listen, you can pay me with all the belongings you have in your palace, give it to me, but I cannot curse what God has blessed. Now, however, after 20, chapter 24, because, you know, the story is, is chapter 22 to 24. After chapter 24, the very next chapter in verse 1, okay, in, verse, uh, in chapter 25, verse 1, it says, right after, after this story, the very following chapter, verse 1, it says, The men of Israel began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabites, or the Moabite women, who invited them to sacrifice to their gods. It's crazy. They were saved. They were protected even from this, this witch doctor or whatever, the priest of uh, demonic priest who couldn't curse them. But the undoing of the people of Israel, the people of God, was they indulged themselves with their food sacrifice to idols and in sexual immorality with the women of the Moabites. So guess what? The destruction came from within the Israel, Israelites, not outside, not externally, but internally. So after being pre preventing from cursing Israel, apparently, the, that's what ba Balak, apparently Balaam advised Balak, king of Moab, that, listen, if you read in, uh, in, uh, in Numbers chapter th uh, 31, verse 6, and quoted in uh, and recited in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. It says that Balak, king of Moab, taught Balak, or uh, Balaam, sorry, the prophet Balaam, taught king Balak, king of Moab, listen, you can't defeat Israel, but you can, what you can do is to, if you can, can seduce them, okay, seduce them to worship idols, and somehow, if you can seduce them, they would forfeit God's protection. That's how you defeat them, by seducing them, where they will totally undo themselves. That's crazy. So it is not the chaos in the world that will be the undoing of God's church, God's people. 
once again, it is what is tolerated within the church. And let's read verse 14. This is interesting. This is what God said. Okay? You hold fast, you know, you, you, you hold on to my name and my faith. But verse 14, he said, But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam. Okay, I want you to, 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 to just pause on that very word. He said, but I, but I have a few things against you is that, and in that you have some there who hold, listen to this, hold the teaching of Balaam. Okay? It's interesting because in other letters where God gives warning, he said, you tolerate the teaching of this or to the Ephesus, right? You hate the, the practice of Nicolaitans. But these people, God said, you hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balaam to put some block before sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. And verse 15, so also you have some who hold the teaching of Nicolaitans. Okay? It's crazy. He's, he's what is tragic in this church of Pergamon. What is tragic is not that the false teaching had been tolerated like in other churches. But the situation is worse than, than, than what happened in other churches in that they hold on to the teaching, to those false teaching. Wow. So when the letter was written, and in the letter John referred to the execution of Antipas, that was an event of the past. In other words, in the past, you were, you were doing well to the point that somebody was executed and you hold on to your faith. But something has happened. And now, I don't know how long the, the time was between the execution of Antipas to, to where they're at at the time of John writing to them. And what happened was, at the time of the writing, they were holding on to the teaching. So here's my, my, my point that I'm trying to make here. here. Okay? The lesson that we need to get very clear in our heads. They didn't just hold on. They didn't just arrive there. It had to begin with tolerance. Okay? So I want to give four points that is important for us. What you tolerate... You tolerate. After a time, you from tolerance to you move to a place of accommodation. You start to accommodate, make room for it. And then what you accommodate, you will practice. And what we practice, guess what? After a while, we will approve. I'll say it again. Tolerance accommodation practice 
and approve. You tolerate sin and then you accommodate sin. And then after that, you start to practice sin like these guys did. And then the, the last, which is the worst stage or state of that situation is we start to approve sin. And then this is what's happening with, the, with many people, with the society and with church. The, the verse that, he, that is very strong that as a warning that every time I read this, it, it's like it hits me. Like in Romans chapter 1 verse 32, where Paul said concerning the people, he said, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, he, obviously he refers to uh, eternal death, they not only do them, okay, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. It's crazy. It is, it's a subtle journey from tolerance to accommodation to practice and then approve those who practice them. When I look at the society now, what is tolerated, what is practiced, and what is, being, what is being approved is, is crazy. I don't want to go into details of that, but I think the church, the compromise in the church now, really, I, 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 am, I think we need to pray because I believe the church is under threat, not because of what's going on in the world, but because we've allowed a lot of things happening in the church. And the truth has become so blurry. And uh, I remember there was a discussion. Somebody talked about the love of God. How can God, who, who uh, is, is uh, all loving and, and all, all uh, yeah, good God or loving can 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 punish people. So like the love and punishment don't seem to be don't seem to be uh compatible. Well and I uh, the way I would describe that I would use the term human humanizing God because <laughs> we're trying to interpret God or view God from our human perspective. Now God will always be God. So my thing is this alright just give you an example uh, of, of, of the gospel. You know, people say the gospel is the good news of the, the love of God. Yes, that is true. It's the good news of the love of God. But let me see what, what Paul said about, about the gospel in uh, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Okay? And even non-Christians would, would realize that, oh, the gospel is yeah, about the love of God. But what did Paul say in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 16? Where he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And then he continues, because in it, in the gospel, he didn't say the love of God is revealed. He said, because in it, in the gospel, the righteousness or the justice of God is revealed. And he goes on 
as you read further in the book of Romans, you, you read about how God expresses his love. So my, my, my take is this. Especially when you read the Bible, that yes, God is loving. However, he does not express his love at the expense of his holiness and righteousness. But in the context of his holiness and righteousness. That's why Paul presented the gospel as because in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. And within that righteousness, then you will read further how because of God's life, and you know, he presented Jesus as a propitiation, as a as a sacrifice. In other words, in expressing in expressing his love. And in the context of his holiness and righteousness, yes, there is punishment. But guess what? The punishment that he gave, he put upon himself. Upon himself. So I think, you know, it's very important for us Christians to understand all these things. Because otherwise, you know, like somebody once said to me, isn't the, the mark of Christianity... The teaching of Jesus is tolerance and loving everybody. Yeah? And I said, well, there you go. You just said it. I mean, I had a conversation with somebody. Isn't that uh, what the gospel is, the love of, you know, the, the mark of Christianity? Jesus teaches us to, to love. And my answer to that is, yes, but the love that Jesus has that Jesus teaches us to have is meant to be expressed and to be directed towards people, not ideas. I'll say it again. The love that Jesus teaches us and the tolerance that we have, should have, they are meant to be directed towards people, not ideas. So this is what happened with the church. Because they, they went through that steps of tolerance, accommodation, and practice, and then obviously one day, <laughs> approval. So Jesus said, now this is the warning from Jesus, verse 16. He said, therefore repent. If we have, if we've gone through that, that thing, or tolerate, or accommodate, or practice. It's, it's just as simple as repent. But here's the warning. Jesus said, If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Okay? It is interesting. In this passage, while Satan uses his power to kill Christians, God uses his mouth the sword of his mouth, not against the world, but against the church who does not repent. That's in the passage. I'll, I'll say it again. It is interesting that while Satan uses his power to kill Christians, God, on the other hand, uses the sword of his mouth, not against the world, but against his church who fail to repent.
I think that's a good warning for us. Like Diane said, this is not, this is not just a, a rebuke period, but a rebuke with a purpose. It's like a coach will, you know, when you see in the, in the football field, <laughs> a coach will talk to one of the players like, come on, get, get there and whatever. Kick some backside. <laughs> and uh, in other words, while, while the crowd was screaming and, and, and oh, you are, you are a loser, but the coach was screaming at the player to get his act together. Why? Because while the crowd probably see him as a loser, the coach will see the player as a champion. He can do it. He can do better than that. And that's what God, Jesus is doing to the church. Satan will see us as, as losers maybe. I'm sure he does. But Jesus rebukes us because he knows we can conquer. That's why the invitation here. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, I will give some hidden manna. Hidden manna is obviously is taken from the book of Exodus, where the priest will take some of the manna will, and he will put it in the, uh, in the, in the uh, Ark of, of the Covenant which is hidden, no one can have access to that, only God. So that's, that's the picture of the hidden manna, which is, uh, which is the, 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 the image of the ultimate presence of God. In other words, he, you know, the one who conquers, I will give him access to my presence. And also is that I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now, scholars have interpreted and, and bring, bring up, bringing up the, uh, the historical context and that at the time of the writing of this book of Revelation, the system of the, the court system of the day is that when the jurors... Uh, time for the jurors to make a decision of guilty or not guilty they use two stones white stone and and, and black stone to to vote so uh, a jury every jury would come and then they would they would pick up if it's guilty it was it would be white stone and if it's or if it's if it's not guilty it is white stone and if it's guilty it's black stone so the possibility is is in that context is that you know, I will give him white stone as in you now he will com be completely innocent and and uh, justified, that sort of thing. And also the name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it, obviously it's a reflection of our name being written in the book of life. So here's the message of, of the, uh, that we can learn from this church. We can do church, we can do all kinds of things, all kinds of activities, but I believe as the church, we need to hold on to the truth. We need to hold on to the basic, what, 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 what is written in, in, in the book, in the Bible, in the scripture, what is taught. And we need to, even at the cost of our lives, and the next thing is living a life that is, because we're not going to be perfect, but living a life of repentance. Yeah, living a life of repentance. And 
that is the victory of the church because like I said it is not what's happening outside the church even as messy as it is like with COVID-19 now with all kinds of things that's going on in, in Melbourne and all over the world but what we tolerate in the church we need to be vigilant as believers yeah so let's pray. Let's pray and let's ask God. God, we want to be vigilant Christians. Father, I pray for, for our church and the Christians in Melbourne, in Australia, in the world, Lord. There is a, it's almost like a decline in, in Christianity because we do all kinds of things good. We appear good like like last last week, we, we we learned from one of the churches. We don't want to be like the other uh, one of the churches here who have the reputation of being alive, but we're dead. That's not going to happen, Lord, because we want to be tender towards you, tender hearted towards you, and always repent. We want to be the church that and the people that live our lives in the pursuit of you and your righteousness and your holiness. Yes, Lord, and the pursuit of your presence. Touch your people, Lord. Make us radical, Lord. Dare to be radical. And have the guts, Lord, to stand up for what is right. Bless your people, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. <laughs>